Now, in January, uh, two boats carrying migrants from Libya sank in the Western Mediterranean. These migrants had left the war-torn Libya uh, in search for greener pastures in Europe. Around 170 souls perished in the Western Mediterranean. As you know, if you know something about it, what's happening in the Mediterranean, uh, what's happening is that Italy has really become a hot destination for smugglers, uh, ferrying migrants from Libya and Morocco and other parts of Africa. Many try to come to Europe through the island of Lampedusa. They leave Africa uh, with very high hopes, but they never, they never make it to Europe. Uh, many of these poor people pay over a thousand pounds just to get on those crowded boats in search of a new life. Women endure sexual assaults. Men who complain against the conditions on the boat uh, are often tortured. They leave danger in Libya, which is engulfed by a civil war, only to die at sea later. The International Office of Migration estimates that since the Arab Spring, over 14,000 souls have perished in the Mediterranean. It is a modern-day tragedy, largely due to restrictions, I guess, around migration in Europe, um, immigration in Europe. If you are a follower of Jesus, in some sense you share something with those migrants. You have also taken a, a journey from danger, not a, not a journey from somewhere sort of where there's war or anything else like that, but you've taken a journey from the danger of darkness. You used to live in darkness, and you've taken a journey from there. You've been rescued by Jesus from the terrible conditions of darkness. But unlike the Libyan migrants, you are not shipwrecked. You have actually made it safely home. You have been delivered into a new nation, the church of God. And we read about this church of God in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10. Peter says, but you are a chosen, you are present tense, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, once you are like those migrants searching for home, but now you are God's people. You have made it by the blood of the Lamb. Once you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy in Christ, Peter is saying. And then this is a passage for us to reflect on because we are asking a simple question uh, today as we celebrate our church anniversary. And the question we are asking is, what is the church? That's the question we asked this morning. And we are asking it again this evening, what is the church? And just as verse 4 to 6 explained to us what the church is, verse 9 to 10 also explains to us what the church is. And in this passage... Peter shares some important truths. Three truths I just want us to look at. The first one, the first answer that Peter gives us is that the church 
is a new nation owned by God. The church is a new nation owned by God. It's not owned by the pastor. It's not owned by members of the church. It's not owned by the theological experts at seminaries. It's not owned by the government. It's a new church. It's a new nation owned by God. Notice in these verses, verse 9, Peter starts with a striking phrase uh, which is designed to remind us that God alone owns the church. He says, but you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. You know, Peter is writing to people located in five places in Asia Minor. You can look at verse 1 of chapter 1. And he's looking at all these different people from different backgrounds. They have actually come from a pagan background. And he's saying, you are a chosen race. He's saying, followers of Jesus, miles apart, different background, young and old, black, white. We are together a new chosen race. We share the same spiritual DNA as brothers and sisters born of God. This is the true and permanent identity of every child of God. This new race, as I said, is not based on skin color. It's not based on socioeconomic grouping. It's not based on political affiliation. It is based on the relationship to Jesus and Jesus alone. So Peter, a Jew, can write to us Gentiles and say, you are my blood brothers and sisters in Christ. Together, we are a new chosen race. And just as you cannot change your physical skin, you can't change its appearance. You can try and bleach, but really you can't change it. Therefore, you cannot also change your new spiritual skin in Christ. No matter how much you try to bleach it off spiritually, you can't change it. You are what God has made you as a new spiritual race. And this truth must change how each of us sees ourselves. Your identity now is that you're a new person in Christ. So the way you live, you must stop, if you like, bleaching your spiritual skin. Don't try and change your new spiritual skin that you have. Your spiritual skin, how does it look like? It's covered with the blood of Christ, isn't it? It's red. It bleeds the blood of Christ. Every Christian looks red. They're dressed in the blood of Christ. And you, as a believer, must stop trying to be anyone else other than what you already are in Christ. You must stop trying to fit into the world. You must realize that you are now part of a new race in Christ. And actually, because you are now part of a new race in Christ, you will suffer spiritual racism. The world will treat you differently based because you were now, you are now dressed in the blood of Christ. Sometimes people at work will avoid having lunch with you because of your faith in Christ. If you are, if you are living as you should in Christ, you lose friends because you don't share their sexual ethics. Notice here Peter says we are a chosen race. 
I love that. Chosen race. No one chooses the color of their skin. In the same way, you did not choose your spiritual skin in Christ. It is God who chose you and gave you his divine nature in Jesus so that in everywhere when people look at you, they can see the mark of God on you. They can see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why has God given us a new spiritual skin? Well, because we are now part of his new holy nation. We have been set apart for God. Read verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And then he says this, a holy nation. As we noted this morning, Peter here is using language from Exodus, uh, which God applied to Israel and is applying to us today. So let me just remind you of what we read this morning from Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6. We read this. Remember Moses uh, there at Sinai. And God says this to him, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And now I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, I own everything, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. And we said this morning, as we noted this morning, Peter, God chose Israel, we are reading in Exodus, uh, to be his nation. Yeah, in the morning we are talking about very much how God chose them to be a kingdom of priests. But the point I want to emphasize is that God chose them to be his nation. He meant them to model to the world what it means to live with God, to worship him in a broken world. And of course we know that Israel rebelled against the kingship of God. They broke the covenant with God. And, and, and the whole thing about rebelling against God, we read about it in Samuel, they were very much interested in being like other nations. That's why they requested to have a human king. Israel was not satisfied with being the nation of God. It wanted to be just like everyone else. And so they rebelled against God. And the story of scripture is very much about their rebellion. But God, through their rebellion, was graciously still working to create a new covenant, better than Sinai, in the person of Jesus. The church now has come as a fulfillment, so to speak. As a fulfillment uh, of God's promises to create a new people. In Jesus. Jesus comes as the son of David who sits on the throne of his father David as our king. The church, of course, has not replaced Israel. Rather, Jesus himself is the fulfillment of Israel. Jesus is the new Israel. He is the one who now incorporates into himself Jews and pagans into his new nation, the church. So God's people are one. Now Jews and Gentiles can find faith in Christ. We might say that God has perfected and expanded what it truly really means to be his nation. 
And it's amazing. Because as we sit here, not only are we amazed about God's plan in history, but we recognize that we are a new race. We are what the scripture has been working towards to. A new nation in Jesus. Look at verse 9 again there. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. We might even say his treasured possession. And the word possession there means purchased at a price. Uh, if you feel like we are a new nation of God that, has, that God has paid a price for, and the price God has paid for us is the blood of Jesus for us. Before you started following Jesus, you were the same as the worst rapist or murderer in the world. There was no difference. There was no difference. You are without God and without hope in the world. But now, Peter says, now that you are a follower of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus has cleaned you up. Your sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to that cross and you bear it no more. And so God now looks at you and says, she is my treasured possession. He belongs to me forever. Uh, he is now part of my new nation by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, and this means that whatever situation you find yourself this evening, if you're trusting in Jesus, God has made it impossible for you to ever walk alone. I, you are not on your own anymore. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You have been grafted and incorporated into this new nation. You belong to God now. And so this means that you don't need to draw life from people. You don't need to look to things of this world to give you the identity. You don't need to depend on yourself. Because Jesus has given you a new life with God forever. You are no longer facing life on your own. You are now a member of his new nation. But you are a chosen race, a royal priest. The bat, by the way, is in contrast to the non-believers in, uh, in verse 8. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We looked at that briefly in the morning. A holy nation, a people of his own possession. You are a member of his new nation. And you know what? The same applies to us as a fellowship. When we look at our church here, we are no different from the churches in Asia Minor. We are small, struggling in many areas of the church. We still long for God to add members, to appoint elders, to raise more deacons among us. We still long for God to give us a greater thirst for prayer, to be a praying church. We are not a praying church. We long to see God save souls among us and deepen our love for each other. We long for the world to look at us and say, look how they love one another. This is a longing of every true converted child of God in this fellowship. We long to see men and women ministries grow for the, for the, for, for the glory of the kingdom. 
We want God to use us in all of our brokenness and fragility to draw sinners to himself. And yes, there are moments when we, I don't know about you, but I do find myself asking. In all the hard work, in all the tiredness, in all the preaching, in all the evangelism, you can still find yourself asking, does God care about what's going on at grace? Are we just a footnote in history? Peter says to us here, no, God cares. Because you see, he looks at us and sees the infinitely precious blood of his son that has turned each one of us into his new nation. And I think that's an important truth to remember, isn't it? We need to remember this truth. We must remember it when we meet during Bible studies during the week and we look around and we see so many people missing. We must remember this truth when you invite a friend for fellowship on Sunday and she promises to come but does not show up. And we must remember this truth when we, when we go out to evangelize and we're looking around and saying, oh, we've got so many members, but where are they? We must remember that. We must remember that as we start a new year, we look at our finances and we're, and we're saying, well, we don't have enough. There's a lot of red there. We need to remember this truth, don't we? We need to remember this truth, not so that we can crank ourselves up to do more. No. We need to remember that because we want to remember the truth in the morning, that God is the one who builds his church. And here Peter is saying we need to remember that because ultimately the future of this church the future of the church and this church is always great. Why? Because we are a new nation owned by God, by the blood of Christ. Our hope is not in some great preaching, in some talent somewhere, in some energetic person who can transform everything, or in some gimmick. Our, our hope is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that has turned each one of us into to be part of a new nation. That's the first truth we need to remember this anniversary. The church is a new nation owned by God. The second answer Peter gives us about what the church is, is that the church is a new nation by the mercy of God. How is it we're a new nation owned by God? Well, we're a new nation because of the mercy of God. That's our second truth there. Little story says, to sin is a human business. To justify sins is a devilish business. I think the point he was making is that we are all sinners, really. And we do ourselves great injustice to deny that. And the question, therefore, if we are all sinners, and the Bible tells us we are all sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the question then is, how can God, who is morally perfect, claim sinners as his own people. And Peter's answer here is that God can do that because God is merciful towards us. Look at verse 10. He says, once you are not a people. You just got to pause there. Take that in. Every Christian has a once you are not a people. There was a time when you were lost. Peter says, you enter this world as a rebel. 
And he says, once you are not a people. But now you are God's people. How? Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Peter is saying we are in Christ because God is merciful towards us. What is mercy? Well, mercy is God not giving us the punishment we deserve. It is the love and forgiveness of God for people who have no claim in it whatsoever. And this is consistent with the mighty, amazing, merciful character of God. Because Deuteronomy 4 verse 31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Oh, praise the Lord. That is so encouraging. Because we can read this now as people in Christ. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the shed blood of Jesus for your sins. And Micah 7 verse 18 says this. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. And passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not return his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast Love. You know, all human beings are made in the image of God. So every single human being has within themselves some capacity for mercy. I know this because sometimes when I'm walking about, I see people looking at the homeless man and they reach in their pocket, they give the homeless man some cash. They're extending mercy to that person. I know when there's a hurricane which has ripped up Bahamas, many people are queuing up to provide help, the Disaster Emergency Committee. So there's something in all human beings that, that extends mercy, that love to extend mercy. It's a part of our God made us. We are, to some degree, merciful people, even in our fallenness. But when we compare our mercy with God's mercy, our mercy is a form of cruelty compared to God. God is so infinite, God's mercy is so ahead of us that when we compare our mercy to His, we're being cruel to others. And the Bible tells us that God is merciful to all His creatures because He's the one who provides and cares for His fallen creation when it deserves when it deserves to be burned up what we call common grace is also general mercy uh, because there's no god should just withdraw the air we breathe and just finish everyone but he doesn't he sustains the air we breathe that's mercy because we don't deserve to breathe we have rebelled against the giver of the air we breathe but god is merciful like that to everyone but on top of his general mercy, God gives a special mercy. That is what Peter is talking about here. Peter is saying God has given us a special mercy to us who believe in Jesus by making us his new nation of God. Once, you are not a people. But now, you are God's people. Once, you had not received mercy, special mercy. But now, you have received this special mercy in Jesus. You know, there are times in our lives when pressures of life make us doubt who we are before God. We ask ourselves, do I really belong to God? We do. I mean, if you are truly converted, you have asked yourself that at some point. It's, 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 it does happen. Do I really belong to God? You look at your own sinfulness, and you look at how wonderful God is, and you're thinking, do I really belong to God? 
And you know, many adopted children ask similar questions about their families, don't they? Does my adopted mom and dad love me? How long will I stay with them? Any adopted children struggle with these sorts of issues. And this lack of confidence, actually, can, that you are accepted and loved by your parents can destroy that relationship. Uh, for orphans, many of them struggle with these issues. And orphans need constant assurance that they are loved, they are cared for. Well, if you are trusting in Jesus today, you don't have orphan problems. You shouldn't. You can be confident that you have indeed been adopted by God into his new nation. You have received his mercy. Past tense. I love the past tense of this thing. Once you have not received mercy, it doesn't say now you will receive mercy. It says you have received mercy in Christ. It's done. All the mercy God has poured in on you. And of course more to come. Uh, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you are not like Shaka Ahmed. You remember Shaka Ahmed? Sorry, he spent 14 years in Guantanamo Bay, right? A British guy. Spent 14 years there. And when he was freed, he was brought here, of course. The government secured his release. He was brought here. I think it was a Cameron government at the time. But the moment he landed, he was told by the British government, you are free now. But if you dare reoffend." you'll be imprisoned quicker than you can count. You'll be imprisoned very, very quickly. It's free. Even now, but only under probation, really. His freedom is. He leaves because the moment, for him, a small crime could actually just mean the whole thing just locking him up. And Jesus is saying to us as his true followers, no, our freedom in Christ is not like that. If the Son sets you free, you are free forever indeed. Uh, it doesn't depend on how well you're dealing with sin. Listen to me carefully. If you have truly surrendered to Jesus, it doesn't depend on how strong or how weak you are. As long as you are trusting in Christ, truly trusting Christ, you are totally forgiven based on the never-ending mercy of God. And the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, if you like, is your mercy ticket to heaven. His righteousness has truly been credited to your account by the mercy of God. And so this means that even in your moment of greatest sin, there is no need to run away from God. This morning we, I was pleading with you that there is no need to run away from the church when you are struggling. Because God has dwells in the church. Well, here, Peter's reminded us there's no need to run away from God. You may feel lost. You may feel forgotten. But God's mercy and love is enough for you. If you're in Jesus, you belong to a new nation through the never-ending mercy of God. You are forgiven, you are loved, and you have been welcomed into God's eternal kingdom of mercy. That's the gospel. Final point. What is the church? The final point Peter tells us, the church is a new nation. What is his purpose? His purpose is for proclaiming or promoting God. The church is a new nation for proclaiming God. So point number one, the church is a new nation owned by God. How? 
by the mercy of God. That's point number two. The church is a new nation by the mercy of God. Why are we here? What is the purpose? Well, the final point Peter makes here is that the church is a new nation for promoting or proclaiming God. That's the reason for God creating his new spiritual nation. It is to advertise him. Look in the middle of verse 9 there. It says, but you are a chosen race at the beginning of verse 9, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As I said, as I said just now, the word proclaim literally means to advertise or promote God. Peter is saying the church and you in particular are God's peer agent in this world. You are God's public relation agent. You are God's spokesperson. You exist to promote God's agenda in the world. And as I pointed out this morning, it's just so wonderful reading the scriptures from Genesis and understanding how the covenants afford unfold throughout history. Because we realize as we are, Peter is talking, is applying the promises of God which apply to Israel, but they apply to Israel because they apply to Adam. And immediately we remind as we look at this that the church in Christ is meant to be the new image of God in the world. Jesus is the last Adam, and in him he has created a new race, a new humanity that's there now to advertise God. To do what Adam was meant to do from the very beginning. It's just it's amazing. Uh, it's just extraordinary. Uh, we should study more of this stuff. We should meditate more about what God is doing with the church. Because we are truly special. God has created us to promote him. And the flash news here is very simple. Being a follower of Jesus in this new nation is not about promoting yourself or doing what suits you. You know, many people elect the church, they fit in the church, they do what suits them. But he says, no, being in the church is not about promoting yourself. The reason God has lavished his mercy on you is to promote him. People should look at you and see him. And this is... Uh, I said this morning that being in the church fills us with joy and trembling. Because you can see it already. The joy is that this amazing, super duper amazing God has chosen me to point people to him. Or rather, point, yeah, point people to him. I'm, I'm excited about that. But then, I'm also trembling. Because I recognize now that, that that's such a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility, isn't it? Everything I do affects God's image in the world, how people perceive him. Satan sometimes has a laugh at God at because of what I do as God's child. You know, when you're talking to your spouse, you are talking as God's peer agent. That's huge responsibility. When you are in a meeting at work, you are there as God's peer agent. When you are running the business, you, the canvas, you're doing it as God's peer agent to promote him. That's massive responsibility. 
But we are being reminded here that no matter, because we have decided to follow Christ, no matter what you are pursuing in life, if your life is not shaped by the desire to display His glory, God's glory, then it is being wasted. That's your calling, and therefore you're going to live like that. And how do we advertise God? Well, by proclaiming, Peter says, the excellencies of God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The word for excellence is there, by the way, it literally means the heroic acts of God. And these involve the work of God calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, Peter is saying the number one calling of this church, this fellowship, and as you as an individual, is to be a witness to the dying world. We are to witness to them the sensational good news of Jesus. We exist to tell the world that is enveloped in the darkness of sin, to tell it that every human heart is enslaved, but the light of Jesus is here to break the chains. We exist to tell the world that it lives in Satan's house of darkness, Satan's house of horrors. But Jesus, our great champion, has come to set them free by the mercies of God. We exist to tell the world that the dark damnation of hell is real, but Jesus, our Redeemer, has come to give them new life in the new heavens and new earth. That's the response. That's God's call in this church. It's actually God's essential call on your life. Whatever you're doing, if you're not doing that, your life is being wasted. Our number one calling as a church is to be an ambassador of the new nation that proclaims the redeeming mercy of Christ to a dying world. And this starts with our church life, doesn't it? This church must continue to pray and long to be a billboard of his grace. When the world sees this church, they must see Christ. They must see us living, pointing to him. And of course, that means as a church, there is no place in the church for unforgiveness and bitterness in the church. No. It does not witness the love of Jesus, pure and simple. We must take the spiritual acts as it were and seek to cut out everything that gets in the way of this church proclaiming the love and grace of the cross. And forgiveness and bitterness is always top of the list. It does not witness the love of Jesus to anyone. It hinders it. There is no place in the church for competition, arguments with other followers of Jesus in the church. It is not a good advert of Jesus to the world. There is no place in the church for unkind comments or ignoring a brother or a sister or gossip or giving up on others. Such behaviors do not point sinners to our suffering servant. There's no place in the church for seeing ourselves through the lens of race, thinking more in terms of white, black, poor, rich, low income, high income, whatever that is. High-paying taxpayers, low-paying taxpayers. It's good to be a low-paying taxpayer, I'm sure. There's no place in the church for any of that. Such attitudes cannot witness for Christ in the world. Church life must be 
an exercise in self-promotion. It's not about building our little kingdoms. It's about glorifying him in all things. And as we celebrate our church anniversary, uh, it's an opportunity, I think, for us to examine ourselves as individuals and see things in the life of church which we need to repent and think over next year. I'm told people don't like the idea of corporate repentance because it feels like everybody's being brushed with the same stick as it were or whatever. Boom. I'm not a repentant, as you can imagine. Right? Something like, you know what I'm getting at, right? But the truth of the matter is that there are sins which we are corporate and we must regularly come as the children of Israel did, to repent as a church in general. But also as individuals, we must ask ourselves, <clears throat> where am I allowing sin to creep in the life of church? Where is the wrong thinking, divisive thinking, divisive thoughts destroying the life of this church? We have seen, beloved, isn't it? That's the question we started off with. What is the church? Well, we have seen that the church is a new nation of God made up of all true followers of Jesus. We have seen that the church is a new nation of God by the mercy of God and God alone. And we have seen that the church is a new nation that lives to proclaim God. As I've been thinking about today as a day, and think about the fact that God is the one who builds. Think about the wonderful thing what it is to be part of the church. I realize this is a great miracle, isn't it? The church. The church is a great miracle. It's a wonderful privilege to be part of this new nation. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We do not deserve to be part of the church. It is Jesus who has welcomed us into his kingdom of mercy. He alone came from heaven. He alone sought you. He alone paid a high price to make you his precious possession. And it's Jesus alone, not any man. Jesus alone deserves our highest honor, our highest worship, and our highest adoration. Amen.